Um, we are in a series called The New Now. And what we're seeing is that into the midst of the stories of frustration, of brokenness, of challenge, of difficulty, God has brought something definitive in Jesus that makes everything different. It makes everything new. It means that our now is, is new. Now, last week we talked about justification. We talked about the reality of forgiveness. And I don't think you need to have a whole lot of experience in the church to know that there is forgiveness with God. Okay, not, we don't always understand all the bits and pieces, but we talked about that last week. Um, there's a lot of people, even outside the church, who have some sense that God offers forgiveness. Um, and that's great, but sometimes forgiveness isn't the problem that we feel is most important. Okay, there are times when there are other things that we need. We have, another, we have a sense that there's something else that we need that's different from forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is fine, but let me just ask you this question. How many of you feel trapped today? <laughs> Didn't ask for a show of hands, but thank you for that, right? <clears throat> thank you for being willing. Thank you for realizing this is an environment where it's safe for you to confess, I feel trapped. Um, I mean, we feel trapped. Sometimes we feel stuck. There's a point where we feel enslaved, and there are addictions that the culture has labeled for us that may or may not be acceptable types of addictions, but we just know, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so I smoke, I get it, I'm addicted to cigarettes, that kind of thing. Or, you know, that, that's sort of socially acceptable, although it's being marginalized more and more, um, although there's a general sense of, well, you do you, just don't breathe on me, that kind of thing. But um, then there's addictions that, you know, that we would recognize aren't healthy, like drugs, um, alcohol, sex. Um, there are all kinds of addictive behaviors that we feel enslaved to. And then there's a lot, there's like a lot of things where, I mean, we call them personality flaws, we call them struggles, we call them issues, we call them difficulties. There's a lot of sin in our lives. And we think, man, how can I fix this? How can I get out of this? How can I stop acting like this in this situation or with this person? And in those places, what we really want, even beyond forgiveness, is freedom. Forgiveness is amazing. It's wonderful. There is nothing like knowing for sure that we are forgiven by God. Um, he is so good to us to forgive our sins. But there are times, right? There are moments when we're like, will I ever be free? Am I ever going to get to a place where I know I'm always going to have to ask God for forgiveness for something, but could I possibly get to a place where I'm not going to have to ask for forgiveness for this? I mean, justification and forgiveness is the beginning, right? Forgiveness brings the new now. We're forgiven when we believe in Jesus before we do anything else. But forgiveness is just the beginning of our salvation, it's just the start of God working in us and through us. Paul says, inspired by God, he says that something happens to people when they're justified. When you believe in Jesus and God declares you righteous, something happens to you. And what God says happens to us through Paul. It speaks to the frustration that we feel. It speaks to our bondage and our desire for change. It's at the end of Romans chapter 3, verse 24, 
Okay, it's in your bulletin. We're going to read it. Uh, let's read it together. It'll be up on the screen, starting in verse 22. It says there, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what I wanted to focus on today is this word redemption. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When we commit to following Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we experience redemption. Redemption. And so let's, we're, we're going to talk about the definition of redemption, the story of redemption, and then the practice of redemption today. We're going to sort of revolve around this idea of redemption. So first, a definition. Um, redemption is being bought for freedom. That's what the word means, being bought for freedom. It's a technical term that's used to describe buying an object back from a pawn shop. Okay, you pay a price, you redeem that object, it's now yours again. It's, um, or it was also used back in the first century to describe the process of buying a slave from the market and then setting it free. So buying a slave from the market and setting it free. And so in the Bible, go ahead and go back to the last couple slides. Um, yeah, go back. Yeah, right there. Jesus' redemption, we could summarize, it's renewing freedom. Okay, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is renewing freedom. Okay? Uh, we talk about a life redeemed. We kind of use this, right? Usually when we talk about the word redeemed, because I thought about this, the way the Bible talks about it is different from the way that normally we use this word today. Today, when we think about the word redeemed, we think about renewing, Right? We think about this idea of, you know, something or someone that's gone bad and then it's been redeemed, right? And now it's good. So one of our partners, Generate Hope, is this shining example of, in San Diego of redemption, right? Women who are trapped in the slavery of sex trafficking are set free. Their lives and their persons, they're redeemed, they're made honorable as they go through therapy get education and job training skills, and then they re-enter the world as free people. They're released from the bondage, and they're renewed, and then they, in turn, renew San Diego. These are renewed people now renewing the city. And so this word redemption is related to justification, but it's different. Okay, it's um, justification last week, remember, justification is this legal term, right, where God, the judge, declares his verdict in your favor, Okay, so justification is forgiveness and acceptance, right? Justification is forgiveness and acceptance. Um, but redemption is freedom and renewal, okay? So these things come in a package to us when we commit to Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We get both of these things, but you see how they're separate, right? You see that they're different types of blessings that come. They're different gifts that come from God. When God forgives us and accepts us because of the faithfulness of Jesus, he also sets us free from the power of sin. And so Jesus' redemption releases us out of slavery to sin, and it renews us to live as people who are set free. We are, we, we, we're set free to live lives of glory and honor, both loving God and loving others. What's interesting about redemption is that you can't really understand the definition of redemption without a story. Because even the definitions of redemption tell stories. 
And one of my favorite um, examples, uh, stories of redemption, is the movie Les Mis, right? Les Miserables with Liam Neeson. And I want to show you a scene. We've watched this, I think, some years ago, um, this movie with Liam Neeson, because it's this beautiful illustration that will help you to understand um, what it means to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so let's go ahead and show the video. <clears throat> Friends, that is, that's redemption. Um, Jean Valjean's not just guilty before the law, but he's enslaved to his past. He's enslaved. He can't get away from what he's done. And the priest set him free. The priest forgave him and set him free. Um, we stand before God as guilty as Jean Valjean stood before that priest. Um, and the good news is that redemption means that Jesus is our priest. I mean, our sin didn't just give Jesus a black eye, but our sin drove him to the cross where he was tortured and crucified for us. Jesus shed blood that was worth far more than 2,000 francs. He gave up his infinitely valuable life so that we would be not just forgiven, but set free. Set free from our past. Set free from fear and hatred, from selfishness. Jesus gives us back to God. I mean, the rest of the movie, I mean, that's the beginning. That's the first, like, five or six minutes of the movie. The rest of the movie is Jean Valjean spending the rest of his life helping other people loving other people, caring for other people. It's him walking in the redemption that he has just been given as a gift. He devotes himself to helping other people experience redemption because he's experienced it and he can't not share it with others. This is the freedom that Jesus brings. It's this renewing freedom that changes everything. Redemption, as described here in the Bible, God is telling us this isn't, this isn't the celebration of July 4th, 1776, right? That was the date when our country declared that we were free and independent. Um, there were some other folks on earth that were saying not so fast, <laughs> right? And though we celebrate the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, we didn't have that freedom until 1783, Right? Until, until years later, after the war was over. After the war was fought, our country was finally free. That's redemption. Jesus doesn't make freedom possible for us. He doesn't say, okay, you're free if you'll just go walk in it. No, Jesus gives us freedom. Freedom from our sin. He has set us free when we believe in him. And so Paul uses this term redemption because he wants us to understand what God has done for us through Jesus. Um, and he uses this term because 
The term redemption actually tells one of the most important stories in the whole Bible. Redemption was the banner title over God's greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament. And that act of salvation was the Exodus. Okay, it was the Exodus. The Exodus was God's great act of redemption. God's people, the Jews, they were enslaved in Egypt. And then they were rescued um, and set free by God's love and power through the plagues and through this demonstration of power. Egypt finally said, go, please leave, get out of here. And so they were set free. And then God parted the Red Sea and they crossed through the waters of the Red Sea. They journeyed to Mount Sinai and there they received the Ten Commandments. And from there, they journeyed, they traveled through the 40 years in the desert on the way, finally, they they finally got to the promised land and entered into the promised land to live as God's renewed people. And so the Exodus is a story from slavery to freedom. It's a journey from slavery to the land flowing with milk and honey. Those were metaphors for heaven on earth. This is the story of redemption. The story of redemption goes from slavery to freedom to live in the presence of God, to be a blessing and a renewing power on the earth. Right? And so this means that when we commit to Jesus, we experience a version of this same Exodus story. God is fixing the world. God is healing the world. God is renewing the world through Jesus. And he's doing that by setting people free. He's renewing people who then will renew the world in this renewing freedom of the gospel. And so when Paul says, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, in Romans 3, verse 24, what Paul is doing is he's giving us a clue that this entire letter, the entire letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, we've broken it out into 16 chapters. This entire letter is Paul saying that our lives are new versions of this Exodus story. That what Jesus came to bring, what Jesus wants us to experience is this renewing freedom from slavery to the promised land. So I want to show you this in the book of Romans. I want to look and see. I want to step back and look sort of at a bird's eye view of the book of Romans so that you can see and understand the big picture of what this redemption entails and what it means. What we're going to do next in walking through the book of Romans and seeing this new Exodus story in our lives, in our experience through the book of Romans, is going to help you as you read it. It's going to help you to know sort of where you are in the story as you read through it and see what's being described. And so... Um, So let's start. Um, The Exodus story starts slavery in Egypt. The book of Romans begins with slavery and sin. This is chapters 1, 2, and 3. And these chapters describe all of us as being enslaved to sin. Some of us are enslaved to worship things on earth, whether whether we're enslaved to, um, to stuff or to sex or to career or to approval. There are things that that we worship um, that aren't God. Um, Others of us are enslaved to bad religion, enslaved to self-righteousness and hypocrisy, 
enslaved to going through the motions of religion so that we can think we're better than other people. Um, all of us, there's no distinction, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And this is important. It's important to see Romans 1, 2, and 3 as describing slavery and sin because it helps us understand that sin isn't just guilt. God doesn't talk about sin because he just wants us to feel guilty. God talks about sin because he wants to set us free. Sin enslaves. Usually we don't find out about that until it's too late. Sin promises pleasure. It promises control. It promises all kinds of things. But what it delivers is slavery. We become enslaved to sin. And so what do we do? What do we do about this? Well, we need Jesus' redemption. We need to be rescued. We need a new version of the exodus. And this is exactly what God does for us. In chapter 3, as we saw last week, we have justification. Justification is the great release from our sins. In Romans chapters 3, 4, and 5, we see that our sins are forgiven in Jesus. We're accepted by him. We're part of his story of renewing freedom. And so we're set free from slavery to sin. I mean, this is the whole point of the Old Testament, Paul says in chapter 4. Like the entire purpose of the Old Testament was to lead to this forgiveness and freedom that Jesus brings in the gospel. In chapter 5, we see that this means that heaven has invaded earth and we receive from God peace. We receive access into his presence. We receive hope, power, purpose in suffering. Paul concludes, he's like, just like Adam ruined it for everybody, so Jesus makes it right for everyone who trusts in him. This eternal life that we receive from Jesus, it renews us, and, it, and we receive it only because of what Jesus has done. And so we have this rescue, this release. And then just as Israel was redeemed through the waters of the Red Sea, so we also go through water. Right? We pass through the waters of baptism, which is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 6. That we who experience this exodus, we have a Red Sea crossing. The waters of baptism, the point where adults who become Christians later in life believe they are baptized and they experience this transition from darkness to light. Their old self dies and their new self is born again um, as we pass through the waters of baptism. And we are now in, where Paul goes on in chapter 6 to say that we are in, we are in union with Christ. So we are made united to Jesus. We are set free from our old self. We're united to him in his death and his resurrection. He died on the cross. Paul says we died to our sin. He was raised from the dead. Paul says we too walk now in new life. We have the power of Jesus. We have the love of Jesus. We have the patience of Jesus. We have the self-control. Everything that he is and was on earth is now ours. So we have this. And so we love God. We love others. We hate sin because we have Jesus' life in us. And then we come to Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. Right? We come to the Ten Commandments and what happened to Israel at Mount Sinai was utter failure. When the law came, it was supposed to produce life in them, but it ended up producing death because they did not keep God's commands. 
They didn't keep the instructions of God. And so they fell. They broke them right away. They failed to keep God's commandments just like we do. And so the good news in Romans 6 of being in union with Christ, um, if you don't feel that way, if you don't feel like you love God with all your heart and you hate sin, if you don't recoil from sin in your life, if there are people that you struggle to love, there's a whole chapter in this book just for you. Romans chapter 7 helps us understand that our struggle, our ongoing struggle is actually part of the story of redemption. If you're in that place, you're not necessarily doing it wrong. God's story of redemption includes the story of God's imperfect people learning how to live out this renewing freedom. And then the journey in the desert gives way to the journey of life on earth in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 describes um, our lives as Christians and compares it to Israel's journey through the desert to the promised land. Israel, for months and for years, um, for the entire generation, they wandered through the desert and the only way they were able to get through the desert of their life was because of the presence of God living among them. It was because they had this ongoing relationship with God who provided for them every day. And his presence in their midst is what got them through the desert. In Romans 8, Paul says, we too have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us in our redemption to the point where he says, so that if God is on our side, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from God. No power, no force, no person, no act. Nothing can separate us from God's love expressed to us in Jesus. So this is redemption, that we get to the end of the journey and we end up at the promised land. And the promised land for us is the new earth. It's the new heavens and earth. It's the heaven-infused earth. When heaven and earth become one, that's the ultimate place. That's our ultimate promised land that this life is heading toward. And in Romans chapters 9 through 16, the whole second half of the letter, you have this description of the, uh, of the new earth. Romans 9 through 11 describes the group that's poised to enter into the new earth, okay? It's actually the New Testament church. So just like Israel was on the brink of the promised land before they went in, Romans 9 through 11 is Paul talking about why it is that now the group of people that are on the brink of God's new heaven and earth are the Jew plus Gentile family of God that are in the church, the New Testament church is the people of God and they are defined not by circumcision, not by things that make them Jewish or Gentile, but they're all defined and described by faith in Jesus. And this is a group of people that are united together as a family. And though they might have nothing in common, yet they have the one thing that is most important in common, and that's a faith in Jesus and an experience of his redemption that joins them together. 
then chapters 12 to 16 describe the specific ways that God's people act in relationships. It's almost like you have this, this series of snapshots. It's like a photo album of what people who have been redeemed look like on this earth as they're heading for the new earth. It's like these foretastes of what the new earth was going to be like and what people will be like there. And so we see there, there's descriptions of relationships within the church, relationships to the government, relationships around, uh, to the world around us. And it's characterized by love, by understanding, by putting other people's needs ahead of yours, even when you're right and they're wrong. Um, it's continuing to serve others. And it concludes in chapter 16 with this list of people. This is usually where if you've gotten that far reading the book of Romans, you check out, you tune out, because it's just a bunch of names, right? No, Romans 16 is actually proof that what Paul is saying is not just high and lofty ideas. But what Paul does in Romans 16, the crew that he introduces in Romans 16 shows us that the gospel is already having this incredibly powerful effect on the community of the people who are in Rome. The gospel's already alive. It's already at work. They're already living out their new earth reality in Rome then. And we're going to see all this when we get to it eventually. But Paul actually says that when you live out this letter, when you live out the guidelines of the gospel, when you walk in this redemption, you will crush Satan under your feet. And so the glory of the gospel, the glory of this redemption is that it does, it gives you power to set you free from sin and set you free from the struggles that you have with yourself. It sets you free from your inability to be what God wants you to be. But it also renews you to become a person that will have the impact of pushing the world's evil out. This is where it's going. This is where this letter is going, and this is the glory of what we can experience. And all of this comes when we follow Jesus, because he is actually, in the new Exodus, he's the new Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. You can follow him out of sin and temptation. And so if you're struggling today, guess what? This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. In one word, the word redemption, Paul puts, it's, I mean, it's like he puts a hyperlink on this word so that if you click on it, you get the rest of the book of Romans. Okay? Why is it so difficult for us to live the way God wants us to? Why is it so difficult for us? Why are the struggles so acute? Why are the struggles so numerous? Why is sin so powerful? Why do my addictive behaviors get the best of me? Why is it that I struggle to try to conquer things? Why can't I just walk in God's ways? Right? Why does this person make me feel this way? Right? Why does this situation cause me to do this thing every time? Right? These are the questions that we struggle with. Right? These are the battles that we deal with. 
it takes Paul 14 chapters to answer that question. In some ways, some of what Paul says are things where you can just, you, you hear it, you, you get it, you can walk in it. In a lot of what he says in these 14 chapters, from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 16, a lot of what he says takes a significant amount of thought and understanding. Letting the truth like wash over you thinking through what are the particular ways, what are the particular battles that you deal with and how can you take these truths and these realities, how can you practice the presence of God so that it'll fit into this area that it hasn't gotten into before. Friends, this is why it's difficult. Like it should be difficult or at least, um, well, it is difficult and the fact that Paul takes 14 chapters to describe the answer should comfort you. might frustrate you too because you're like, dang, why can't it be easier? Well, it's not easier because sin is real and we're enslaved. And it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort to get out of this slavery. The good news is, the good news is that we don't have to get out of the slavery to be forgiven. We don't have to be out of the slavery to be adopted by God. God accepts us And he loves us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so if you're trusting Jesus, you are in the story of redemption. There is freedom and there is power at your disposal. You can put it into practice. We'll talk about how to do that in just a minute. But I just want you to know that if that experience of the story of redemption is not coming true in all the areas of your life, you're not alone and we're just getting started. Um, there is hope, there is truth, there is practice that you're going to get to engage in that's going to help you actually live out this freedom. It's going to set you free. It's going to give you the opportunity to live in this new now. We've got people in our church who have gone from being impatient to being redeemed by Jesus and now live lives of patient understanding of others. We have leaders in our church who have had everything and have been unsatisfied, and now they have Jesus, and they don't need anything to be satisfied. They've been redeemed from that gnawing need and want of more. We have people who have been angry and unforgiving, who have been redeemed by Jesus to become humble and to become people that forgive others. And so we're all going to get an opportunity to play a part and to to, to have a chapter in the story of God's redemption. As he's renewing the world, we're hoping he's going to renew San Diego. We want to participate in that. The way he's going to renew San Diego is through us, in part. But it's renewing us and us experiencing redemption that will help us to bring that renewal to others. And so let's talk about the practice of redemption. We've seen the definition and the story of redemption. What about the practice of redemption? How do we put this into practice this week? Let me give you just a few things um, really quickly that you can do this week. So I want you first to remember something before you sin, okay? Before you commit a sin, in the moment of temptation, 
Remember this, I am redeemed. Okay, so remember before you sin, I am redeemed. Remember that God has set you free, that you have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. You have been ransomed from sin and darkness, from evil and fear to walk a new life. See if remembering that you have been redeemed, see if it doesn't make you feel a little more power in the moment. See if it doesn't cause you to think differently about the sin that you're being tempted to commit. Right, so remember before you sin, I've been redeemed. Second, remember after you sin, I am redeemed. Because if you're like me, you're not going to do this well this week. You're not, you're not going to do it perfectly anyways. Um, after you sin, remember that you've been redeemed. Um, go to God and ask for forgiveness. Um, tell him, God, I acted like a slave to sin. But because of your voice in the Bible, I've been justified through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Um, I remember and I'm thankful, God, that his faithfulness, not mine, is what makes me forgiven. And so help me to be different next time. Right, so remember after you sin, I've been redeemed. And third, tell others in the church, you have been redeemed. Okay, tell others in the church that you've been redeemed. Because again, if you're like me, in the moment of your guilt and shame, you, you need other people to remind you that this is true. Sometimes that voice of God is just not strong enough unless someone else reminds us of that voice of God. And so why don't you be that person for someone else? Why don't you look for opportunities to encourage and let someone else know that they have been redeemed, that this is true about them. And then fourth, something I want you to try to wrap your mind around. I'm just going to introduce it today, and we'll talk about it more um, in the weeks to come and probably in our next series. But fourth is I want you to remember that it's not where you get, but it's what you do next that matters. Okay? It's not where you get ultimately that matters, but it's what you do next that matters. Okay? It doesn't matter if you get all the way to the end. It doesn't matter if you become perfect in this life because Jesus has already made it to the end. Jesus has already lived the perfect life for you. So it doesn't matter if you get that far. It doesn't matter how far you get in your progress. Okay, the only thing that matters is what you do next. Okay, it doesn't matter if on a scale of one to a hundred, your perception of others might be that everybody else is at like 80, right? Trying to get to 85, to 90, to 95. No one gets to a hundred, we know that. But you know, we get asymptotically close to a hundred, right? Some people, some people out there, right? Everybody else, they're like at 80 trying to get higher and, and you feel like sometimes you're at 12, and you look at other people and you think, oh, 
It's, I'm never going to get there. I mean, I might get to 30, maybe. Um, let me just tell you, like, it, it doesn't matter how far you get. What matters is what you do next. Because if you go from 12 to 14, that's more significant than someone who is at 80 and stays at 80 for the next five years. Okay? It doesn't matter if you are going to become the perfect spouse in a relationship. What matters is what you do today in your marriage. What matters is, are you willing to own wherever you're at and make steps in the right direction? It doesn't matter right now like how faithful a friend you are or how far you get on the friend scale. What matters is what you're going to do next. Um, what God is looking for and what the story of redemption wants us to experience is just us letting the gifts and the blessings and the presence of Jesus make us just a little bit more like him. Right? It's us in the freedom of forgiveness. Right? Not doing this to earn, but doing this because we have everything. It's us working with the presence of God to become a little bit better, a little more forgiving, a little more understanding, a little more willing to own what we've done. Right? And so again, it's, it's, it's not where you get, but it's what you do next that makes all the difference in the world. It would be incredibly honoring to our Savior Jesus if next week when we gather in seven days from now, week I worked at trying to remember that I've been redeemed and I took these steps to try to walk in my redemption. And I wasn't successful all the time, but I saw some progress. There were a couple of instances this week where I felt like I was beginning to live differently. That would be success for the gospel. That would be success for our church. When we experience redemption like that in the practical, tiny, tangible ways, that gives us hope. It gives us assurance that God is indeed working in us and through us. And so let's do this, this week, together. In your life groups, encourage each other. Ask each other, hey, how you doing? Um, commit to something now that you'll do this week. And then check in in your life groups. Check in with your friends. Because all of us have this opportunity this week to live out this story of the new exodus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for setting us free. We confess that we don't live out this freedom as we know we should. And Jesus, there are some that are here and feel like they can't do this. There's no way that they can do this. That they don't have the strength, they don't have the blessings, they don't have the whatever. And So would you draw near to each one of us? Draw near to each one of us, Jesus. And would you show us what we can do this week to enjoy this freedom, to receive this freedom and to walk in it? 
Lord, help us to do this together so that we're not alone. Help us to be able to get a friend, family member, spouse um, to walk with us this week, just to check in and to be real in community with the efforts that we're going to make. And Jesus, there are those here now who, they don't have this redemption. They're on the outside looking in. Jesus, would you draw them to yourself? Confess your sins. Trust Jesus and you can experience this freedom today. Jesus, help us to walk this week in your redemption. We pray in your name, amen.